1: This
2: episode is sponsored by Zengo.
0: This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH,
3: the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk
2: Podcast Network.
3: Everyone, happy Monday, happy Halloween, and happy Bitcoin anniversary. It is a very happy start to the week on The Hash here. You're watching Coindesk TV. And if you're listening to us, you are listening to Coindesk's podcast network. I'm Jensen Assey. We got Will Foxley, Wendy O, and a big welcome to Ben Schiller, Coindesk Features and Opinions Managing Editor. Ben, it's your first time on The Hash. We're so happy to have you. Welcome.
4: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I love this show.
3: We love you, Ben. It's just love all around. (laughs) And of course, happy Halloween.
4: Yeah, happy Halloween. Halloween, Halloween.
3: You you got some scary hands going on there. Spooky. (laughs) All right, let's get into our first story. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about Halloween throughout the show. But Twitter has interesting ongoing. So, as we know, it was acquired by Elon Musk. And it seems that big changes are coming so the company plans to let go of 25 percent of its workforce in a first round of layoffs according to a source and reported by the washington post further the social media company is planning to charge 20 dollars a month for verification that's according to the verge if employees building it don't meet the deadlines they too will reportedly be fired And in separate but related crypto news, Dogecoin, the crypto which Elon has been so vocal over, has increased 150% since Tuesday, becoming the sixth largest crypto in the world. So a lot going on here with Elon's takeover of Twitter. Wendy, I'm going to pass this one off to you to get started. What do you make of all of these layoffs?
0: So first and foremost, corporate America is completely flawed in a lot of different aspects. I worked a corporate job <laughs> while I worked for a corporation for a long time, and it was an absolute mess. You have all these people that are higher ups that are telling all the lower down people what they need to do. But the higher up people have no idea how customer service works, or they have no idea how the actual people below them do their jobs. And I've been reading a lot of different things about Twitter's structure. And from what I've gathered, it sounds like there is a lot of people in management and less people that are actually able to do coding or to do the dev work and make sure the platform is working properly. So I think that it's good to restructure. Again, Twitter is a business. I'm going to repeat this again. Twitter is a business. Elon Musk is a very smart businessman, hence why he was able to purchase Twitter for approximately $44 billion. He is going to do whatever it takes to make the platform generate revenue. As far as the whole free speech goes, as far as you know, him being for the underdogs, again, you guys, he's a businessman. I think that there will be better changes made to the platform. I personally don't mind to pay that $20 fee to remain verified in hopes that it will actually help with the bots some way, shape or form. I don't know how that's going to work out. I'm excited about it. But again, Elon is not necessarily our friend, guys. He's a businessman and we are simply a guest on his platform. As far as Dogecoin goes, I'm excited about it. Um, We did pretty (laughs) well on that trade. And... I'm just excited, <laughs> but make sure you guys take profit. I think you're making money. <laughs> <laughs> take your profit, make a moon bag, and again, full disclosure: I do hold a moon bag of Dogecoin and trading this right now. I want to toss this over to Will for his take because it might be cynical. I'm not sure how he's feeling yet today.
1: Oh, cynical! I don't know if it's cynical or not. I think this is just Twitter coming back to reality. If you look back over the last year, we've seen a lot of layoffs in tech. Twitter has not had any layoffs. And why? Because there was a really nice purchase tag for them waiting for a few months. So they didn't need to do anything right. The the Twitter stock actually stayed up really high while everything else went and tanked. We've been talking about Meta for the last two or three weeks because their numbers have just been clocking down. Last week, they were down over 20% in the week. Amazon as well. Twitter has not had that because there's been this price tag floating around for them from Elon Musk and a lot of other additional capital that has been willing to pay. Now that that's been closed, Twitter has to make some moves. They're going to lay off people. That makes sense if you're looking at the broader tech space. And then Elon's also promised that in one way or the other. He wants Twitter to change. He wants a different platform. He wants a different user experience. That means that you're going to have to change who works there. It's unfortunate that the layoffs happen so quickly going into the holiday season, but it's not necessarily shocking. When you look at the, how many tech layoffs there has been over the last nine plus months, and Elon taking over. As for the Dogecoin news, this actually, yeah, it makes sense that it's occurring, but he hasn't tweeted yet. That has been like the strange thing. I've been waiting for Elon to tweet something about Dogecoin. It has not pumped yet. It's kind of like an echo from 2021 coming back around and reverberating right into the Dogecoin price. Ben, I want to throw this one up to you though. I think you might be the one with the cynical take on the Elon Musk <laughs> takeover today. So I want to hand it right up to you.
4: Well, I don't disagree with what you said already and you know, I agree this is a business and we shouldn't be surprised about layoffs because they're happening everywhere I, I'm cynical in the sense that I think this is signaling from the new management to say that this is a new broom coming in and we want to make changes and this is a kind of very uh, headline orientated way to, to make those changes. I also think if Elon is true to his word and he wants more free speech and less content moderation then maybe you can lose some people doing that, maybe you don't need all these people to be uh, moderating the speech on the platform. So maybe in the long term, the model will lead to a less kind of people orientated uh, business model.
1: Oh, go ahead, Jen. Go ahead, Jen.
3: No, we'll agree. And then I'll take I'll take it after
1: (laughs) you're all your Canadian always comes out. You're always so agreeable and just hand it right over to me. Let's talk about some of the tweets and headlines that popped out over the weekend. Uh, There was reportedly an increase in use of like aggressive words and just. write out racial slurs over the weekend is reported on a few different platforms. LeBron James tweeted about it, including a few others. And then Elon Musk and some of the Twitter safety team also reported on it as well, saying that they have not changed any of the content moderation strategies as of yet. That being said, it is interesting and notable that this all happened at the same time. It's also deeply frustrating. Uh, I'm interested to see what the content moderation policies are like coming out of Elon's takeover. He did say in a tweet last week that they're going to form a committee for any sort of content moderation. I'm wondering what that committee looks like. A lot of committees don't get things done. And Twitter is a big place with a lot of nasty people and a lot of nasty things to be said. So I don't know if they're going to be able to tackle this as well as they might think they might be able to. Jen, I'll throw it up to you.
3: Yeah, just on the back of what you were saying, it will be interesting. It's almost going to be like a social experiment before our eyes to see how how Twitter deals with their moderators. I am a big fan and supporter of content moderation. I think there are a lot of people out there with nothing nice, nothing good to say. And I don't think that they should be allowed to say some things that are said. And I'm sure some of you will disagree with me. Did want to bring up the last point here about Doge. If you remember those text messages that were released a few weeks ago, Elon talked about Doge possibly being used for in-app payments on Twitter. So again, to tackle some of those bots, and content moderation issues on Twitter, he said, you know, what if we charged people to tweet? What if we charged people to interact with tweets, a small fee, and maybe Doge could be the payment system we use. So that could be really interesting, super bullish n- news for for Doge there. I don't know, Wendy, I'm going to give you the last word on this story. Would you pay to use Twitter? Would you pay to tweet? Would you pay to interact with other people's tweets?
0: Yeah, I think, if we are able to earn revenue by tweeting and get tips or however it is, vice versa, I don't mind paying to use the platform. I don't make money, any money on Twitter just so I kind of have an internet presence. But at the same time, like there is a really big problem with bots, a really, really big problem. There's also a problem with people spewing nasty hate stuff, which I don't mind operating in true decentralized economy. And the reason why is you can see exactly who is doing what and you can just block them from your network just as long as they don't remove the block button. <laughs> I'm fine with that. But I guess kind of segueing over into my story regarding Vitalik, this is pretty interesting that occurred over the weekend. So Mr. Vitalik stated the crypto industry shouldn't be enthusiastically pursuing institutional capital. So on Sunday in a thread, Vitalik shared some of his views on crypto regulation. He believes the ecosystem needs to mature before it gets more attention. He said we shouldn't be enthusiastically pursuing large institutional capital at full speed. He's kind of happy that a lot of ETFs are getting delayed. Um, But I think the most interesting thing that he said was, is he highlighted the need for KYC on exchanges. However, KYC on DeFi front ends idea does not seem very pointful to me. It would annoy users, but do nothing against hackers. And I also think that that's important information, too, because all of these laws and regulations that we're trying to push forward are supposed to be to help protect users. And if we can't do anything against hackers or people doing malicious things with KYC, do we really need it? Do we really need it? I want to toss this one over to Will for his thoughts because he's making a face at me.
1: You're asking the tough questions this morning. Uh, This is an interesting thread from Vitalik, and it comes amidst a debate between Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX and Eric Voorhees of Shapeshift or formerly Shapeshift. He actually transferred it into a DAO. That's how much he believes in decentralization and non-KYC money. You had this really interesting debate because Sam Bankman-Fried came out with this very long worded thread and then follow up uh, some conversations with Bankless about how KYC should be done within DeFi. And a lot of people in the ecosystem did not like what he had to say. They even point out, ironically, that a lot of the tactics he would try to enforce now would be illegal under the operations he was running over the last two years while at FTX. So it's interesting to see this debate, interesting to see Vitalik come out afterwards and sort of throw his sledgehammer on top of the whole conversation. I think he does have a very important place within this conversation. Some of these exchange masters, like they're, they're building all these things out there. They're the CEOs of these large companies, but Vitalik has a larger place within the ecosystem because he developed Ethereum, the second largest coin. He's probably the most prominent face within crypto, uh, maybe outside Satoshi. And we don't know who Satoshi is, right? So whenever we have Vitalik speaking on something like this, most people tend to listen. And Vitalik's points are well read, right? He's a Big fan of freedom, big fan of non-KYC, big fan of anything to do with like that libertarian ethos. But he has some drawbacks, some points that he's kind of taking a middle road on. And that, of, of course, is also notable and worth paying attention to. And it comes amidst a time where Ethereum is also battling its own demons, right, with censorship resistance. Its own chain now, after moving proof of stake, is having this issue where you know there is a possibility where you could have blocks censored, where it's OFAC compliant. So, his own project is also having its its issues right now. So, I don't have necessarily like anything to point to from this conversation um, unless you take the point that this conversation is needing to happen, right? We've been wanting this conversation for a while with all the OFAC things going on. So, that was the most interesting point to me. Ben, I'm going to throw it up to you to get your take on this story.
4: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think uh, it's interesting how uh, Ethereum, in a way, has become a sort of victim of its own success in the sense that, you know, because it's such a uh, a viable option in this kind of emerging alternative financial system. It's bound to receive more scrutiny and that's what's happening now. And this OFAC uh, business with Tornado Cash was a big flare point in that and, and sort of proved that, uh, you know, the regulators are, are watching and prepared to use any tactics to go after what they see as, uh, as problems. I mean, I, I'm really in two minds about the regulatory debate. Generally, because on the one hand, it is uh, about professionalization, about sort of uh, mainstreaming of crypto, but it's clear to me at least that a lot of crypto doesn't really need to be regulated or it's too early to be regulated properly. And frankly, the regulators still don't really know what they're doing. So as evidenced by the Today to Cash case, so I think that we need to go very carefully. And it's interesting what Vitalik is coming out right now and making these statements. And I agree with Will that he's very much the kind of spiritual leader of The Ethereum movement, uh, even though he's a a co-founder, he's not the sort of CEO of Ethereum, he still has a outsized place in the kind of ecosystem and people are really listening to what he's saying. So I think it's interesting that he's making this intervention right now.
3: Yeah, Ben, I'm also in two minds about the regulatory situation and Vitalik's point really made sense to me. You know, he's suggesting that maybe we're trying to reach that mainstream too quickly and, you know, maybe we're doing it at all costs. It's going to end up hurting the mainstream. I say this so much on the show, like if we move too fast, we're going to end up replicating the same systems that enable the issues we're trying to solve. And so maybe Vitalik is right. Maybe we don't need regulation to come in right away so we can meet that mainstream. Maybe what we need to do is slow down and build the systems that we set out to build based on that Bitcoin white paper, which we're going to talk about, so that we don't end up in the same cycle that we've seen over and over again. Wendy, I think I saw your hand go up.
0: So I agree with us kind of taking our time for regulation, but at the same well until the regulators actually understand what's happening. But at the same time, we've seen regulators waste taxpayers time and money since like 2017. We should have some sort of set guidelines at least so people can continue to build because again, I'm a strong proponent with light regulation while they're going to create a better type of regulation so people can actually build, we can bring business back to America, we can get Americans back working. And we can generate a little bit of tax revenue, love it or hate it. And again, I don't like taxes. I don't like the Fed, but we do have to pay our taxes because that's where they get you. There has to be something that's done because the current system simply isn't working and people aren't able to build. And it's kind of hindering the industry and the American economy, in my personal opinion.
4: But sorry, Wendy, I mean, that's true that some people complain that regulation is uh, stifling innovation. But I mean, haven't we built like a trillion Dollar industry uh, without really much regulation. So isn't that sort of a a lie to that statement?
0: Not necessarily, because we have people that are getting in trouble after the fact that they've done something bad because they don't know exactly what the, there's no clear guidelines. And that's my only issue. Yes, we have been able to build this massive industry, but it is a global industry. It's not just something in America. I just want to see some sort of clear guidelines be put out so people have something to follow. And so that they don't get in trouble or fine later. Because let's face it, most of these businesses that are operating in the United States in crypto, they're small businesses, they're entrepreneurs. They're having a hard time kind of navigating what's happening. Yes, we're seeing a lot of innovation being built, but I just don't want to see the small guy get hit after the fact that they create something. That's not fair to them. It's not fair for our innovators. And if anything, it pushes a dangerous narrative that if you do work in crypto, you have a greater chance of going to jail or getting fined or going bankrupt because they're coming after you for doing something that you didn't know was wrong. So that's my only argument against the current state of regulation in the U.S. Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which until now has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com slash hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See site
2: for details. Welcome to CoinDesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web3. Each week we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how to's from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cam's, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it.
1: Let's move over to HuobiLand, which is delisting its stablecoin, HUSD. HUSD once had a market cap of $1 billion, but now it's only sixty-three million billion. After the exchange announced that it's going to delist the token, it traded as low as $0.28 cents this morning. It's now back up to about $0.32. Cents. The exchange is going to trade outstanding HUSD for USDT, or the Tether stablecoin, in a one-to-one swap. But as you can see from this nice chart, It is going down it's going to die. This is very different from the other stable coins we've seen pop this past year, notably the Terra Luna debacle back in May. This is an exchange stable coin, so it's paired, backed one-to-one with reserves, normally other stable coins or deposits or cash notes in a bank. Uh, The reason the exchange is delisting it is because there's not really a place for it anymore. There's a lot of other sharks in the water that are bigger than it, notably Binance, Circles, Coin, and then, of course, Tether, so we're all competing, or all these stable coins are competing for the same interest rates, the same place to put their banknotes, and sometimes you just can't make it when there's other competition out there. Jen, I want to throw the story up to you, get your take on it. I think a lot of people, when they see a stablecoin dying, which I'm expecting actually more of this to happen, they think of Terra Luna, but this is a slightly different situation.
3: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think that especially the mainstream, when when we see a story about a stablecoin depegging, it just hurts the stablecoin. Narrative across the board. I think a lot of people don't look beyond the headlines. And so that's just something that the industry is going to have to overcome. I guess, Will, back to you. When I read the story, I was like, yes, I have another question for Will, as I always do on these very technical stories. What should we be taking away from this? Did it depeg just because it was delisted? And does this have any effect on retail investors?
1: Yeah, the depegging event, I'd have to look through why there's a few reasons it could have depegged. The first reason is probably just a run to cash, right? Someone with a lot of the stable coin probably went out and swapped. And then that hurts like the liquid market for a stable coin. Uh, But at the same time, it could just be like it takes a little bit to redeem your tether, And so that's being priced into the market as well. It doesn't seem like there's an expiry on uh, redeeming your HUSD for USDT as well. So it's a little confusing. You know, this might go back up, might not. It's unclear how long a secondary market will exist. We do know that they are going to swap one-to-one though. So if you want your dollar, you have HUSD, you can't get those dollars. They are there. So interesting to see that. I do expect this to happen more with a few of these other stable coins out there. They're a little smaller. Stable coins have to have network effects. They have to have a lot of different people using them. That's why Binance the other week delisted USDC in favor of its own coin, BUSD, in order to develop itself more. And it works on two fronts, right? You want people to be able to trade your stablecoin with as many pairs as possible. That increases the interest in it. People are using it. There's transaction fees like. And then on the back end as well, if you have these stablecoins, you have a reserve. People are giving you a dollar and you're holding that dollar. Well, you want to use that dollar for something. So you put it into a bank account and it earns interest on top of it. And in a market economy where it's so competitive to earn interest rates, even at 3%, even with the Fed increasing interest rates, it's still very competitive to earn interest you're going to see some of these larger firms win. They're going to be able to go find the best deals to put cash somewhere and earn interest. And I think some of these smaller teams are not going to be able to do that. They're not going to be able to get users to use their stablecoin, and they're not going to be able to find a place to put large amounts of cash in order to earn interest. So again, I think we're going to see some of these stablecoins die, and some of them really just take dominance to a next step. Ben, I'll throw it up to you, get your take on the story.
4: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And you said it very eloquently. I mean, this is capitalism at work survival of the fittest, the biggest projects win. And I think we're going to see a kind of a, a winnowing out of the stablecoin markets, a kind of key part of the crypto system. And it's obvious that Tether is raising its game, that USDC is really a dominant player, building a full platform for stablecoin and, and all kinds of applications on top of it. And I think we're going to see, uh, as I say, a survival of the fittest here. And some of these smaller projects are, are going to fall by the wayside. It's inevitable.
0: I want to actually agree with everybody. I think that this is a good thing that they're going to be delisting their stablecoin. And I also think it's a really amazing thing that they're going to be making sure people can go ahead and swap it accordingly and get that value back because that's important. And I think that it's kind of good to see a... I want to say that this was a positive DPEG as opposed to what happened with Terra Luna. Because let's face it, with Terra Luna, it was scary when UST DPEG, like it really impacted the entire market. People didn't know what was going to happen. But with this, it just seems like, you know, it was a competitive battle and who will be stablecoin lost and they're making good to all their users. So I think that it's a good thing for the market. And This is positive competition that I always scream about all the time. It's a good thing. Exactly. Ben, go ahead.
4: No, I was going to agree with you. I think this is capitalism at work and, you know, we're going to get better projects.
0: And
3: now on to some more positive news, Ben, you got our last story.
4: Yep. So. I think it's something that's really uh, worth uh, mentioning. It's uh, Bitcoin's 14th anniversary. This is uh, 14 years of the day that we had the Bitcoin white paper come out. And I think it's important to celebrate the principles that were really enshrined in that document uh, about the end to uh, intermediaries in our financial system, about uh, open source innovation, about people coming together and working cooperatively and trustlessly in this environment. And Bitcoin, of course, is the reason why we're all here. It's the kind of genesis story. And, and the fact that it doesn't have a uh, KYC creator is just sort of still fascinating all, all of these years on. Uh, and the reason why I think it's particularly important today to talk about it is that we see uh, continuing problems in the financial system that are really reasons why Bitcoin came about in, in the first place. It was really that financial crisis in 08, 09 that gave rise to to Bitcoin and gave reason for millions of people to believe in this project because they couldn't believe in in, in Wall Street and the financial system. And we saw this uh, continuing sort of disease on Wall Street uh, recently with uh, Credit Suisse, a major investment bank, basically making a retreat from Wall Street because it made a a series of terrible financial decisions and a a series of scandals. And it's, it's those reasons that were really giving rise to Bitcoin in the first place and still makes it so necessary for our features and for the future hopefully the financial system itself so whoopee hooray happy birthday
1: happy <laughs> happy birthday guys happy birthday to happy
0: everybody happy birthday to, well, happy <laughs> birthday <laughs> to everyone
4: <laughs> we
0: don't get to hear marilyn monroe's version of happy birthday satoshi nakamoto mm-hmm. or bitcoin today
4: if i could do I the husky go. voice i'd do it for you <laughs>
0: i love
3: that they played that happy birthday song while ben you were being so serious and eloquent in introducing the story and Happy Birthday was playing. It was just such an amazing experience on this birthday. Will, will pass it down to you for something more intellectual to say.
1: <laughs> oh, hype me up a little bit. Yeah, no, I think this is a great thing to celebrate. And I love how every year we do that. We actually sort of have two birthdays for Bitcoin. Everyone celebrates White Paper Day, which is October 31st, 2008, uh, when the white paper was first issued on the mailing list. And we also have January 3rd, which was the first day that, Bitcoin code was released into the wild and mined a few days later. It's cool that the Bitcoin community keeps pushing this. It's sort of a, a reminder of tradition and like why people are into Bitcoin and what the promise of Bitcoin is. And Ben, just as you noted, like the fact that Satoshi Nakamoto, we still don't know who it is, it's just a person or persons who developed Bitcoin, launched it into the wild and let it run. Bitcoin might not be perfect but it's good enough and it shows us what is different from Wall Street and from the cronies who have been running the banking systems for so long. So I think it's a great day and a great celebration for everyone else out there. Wendy, I want to throw it to you. I want to get a good rant from you, actually.
0: I just want to say thank you to Satoshi Nakamoto, whether it be a group or a single person. I really think that Bitcoin has helped restore some sort of Idea of liberty for people. Let's face it, we've got this third party oppressive system that doesn't care about the underdogs. It doesn't care about poor people. And Bitcoin kind of gives power back to the people. Bitcoin was created for the people by the people. And it's completely changed my life. It's changed so many other people's lives that I know. And I'm very, very thankful that we have some sort of way that we can silently protest and speak out um, just by using Bitcoin. And again, it will always be my favorite cryptocurrency. And thank you, Satoshi Nakamoto, for giving faith back to the world.
3: You know, so much goes on in this industry. We have NFTs, Dogecoin, regulatory fights. I think it's really easy to forget about the foundation. I think it's easy to forget where all of this came from. And so I love that once or twice a year, take a moment to remember the white paper. I think especially as we are on the brink of a recession, if you've just gotten into the space, take some time out of your week, out of your day to read through the white paper and and just kind of learn about where this all came from and where we're heading, especially as you think about the financial state in North America. We're going to have to leave the show there. Happy birthday to the Bitcoin white paper. Happy Halloween to everyone. I hope everyone has a very spooky day and dresses up as something scary or your idol or whatever. Thank you for joining us on The Hash. You're watching Coindesk TV. And thank you for listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jen Sinassi. We had Ben Schiller today, his very first time on The Hash from the Coindesk studio. Wendy O and Will Foxley. We will see you again tomorrow. Be safe out there while you're trick-or-treating, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.